Today, let's begin with the question, what is the pandemic showing you about you? In, in the midst of going through this sea season of a global pandemic, what are you learning about yourself? You know, I, um, I've long enjoyed obstacle courses. Even as a kid, uh, and I lived across the street from uh, a grade school, and there was the playground, and I remember uh, creating for myself obstacle courses that I could go through. Uh, even today, I, I'd love to do one, one of those mud runs. Maybe you've seen them on television before, where you um, go out for a run and you climb walls, you carry logs, you go through mud pits. And the thing about obstacle courses is that they test you. They, they give you a, a sense of yourself. You, you can learn about yourself as you go through them. And, but obstacle courses come with a beginning and an end. And at any point, you can exit the course. Uh, but that's not the way life works. We know that, right? That things come in the midst of life, obstacles, challenges, realities that uh, test us, that, that have this way of revealing to us more about ourselves if we pay attention. So what is this pandemic showing you about you? I'd like you to hold on to that question in, in your own response, and we'll get back to it at the end of our time together. So what I want us to do before we get back to that question is I'd like us to take a look at two defining truths about biblical Christianity, two defining truths that make up uh, the kind of Christianity that's described in Scripture. One of them we're going to find out is sexy. It's wonderful. It's one of those things that, you, that has controversy around it and, and uh, people defend it and argue for it. The other one, uh, I think if we just were to evaluate it based on even Christians' response to it, we might say, well, I guess it's boring. People seem like they barely affirm it, and, and oftentimes they'll just abandon it altogether and pursue on, onto something else. So we're going to look at those two defining truths because they're both true. In fact, without either one of them, we cease to experience biblical Christianity. Well, our theme for this year is I belong. I belong. Uh, we've been using the uh, uh, first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your defining strength? And the answer being that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I belong. We're going to spend the whole year focusing on that. We'll come at it from different angles, and we'll explore different passages of, uh, of Scripture. Uh, but that's our theme. And it's also serving as the title for this current sermon series. We're, we're using Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And each week we read the whole of the text. And, uh, but week by week, we just take a little slice of it, and, and we learn more about what does it mean when we say, I belong. What does that look like? So today, our, uh, two, our, our three verses that we'll be taking a look at are verses 8 through 10. And I'll highlight them uh, in, in gold on the screen so you know which ones that we'll, we'll be take, taking a look at. Uh, so let's go ahead and read our passage for today. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Hear the word of God. Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted 
and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses in this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together as well. Well, the first truth that we'll take a look at then is this, the deity of Christ. In verse 9, we, we read those words, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In order to teach this point or to get a better understanding, I thought we would just look at a couple of other passages. The first is one I'm sure that, you, that many know quite well. In fact, we've, we've used it quite often in our conversations. It comes from the first chapter of John's Gospel. So we know that in that first chapter, there's that uh, line in verse 14 that says, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So we know that, that this is referring to Jesus. When the text uses the, uh, that word, word, it's referring to Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, word. Here's what we read in the first four verses. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Did you hear those descriptions, those those God descriptions being applied to Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at uh, a verse from the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. There we read, and this is regarding Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, those descriptions that, that are God descriptions. We're going to look at one more spot, and this happens to actually come from Paul's letter to the Colossians. We find this in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. We actually taught on this passage a couple years back. Listen again at the description and how it reveals to us the 
an affirmation of what we read in our passage where it said that the whole fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. Listen to this description, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, in light of passages like these and others, we affirm that Jesus Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity. That means that Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Is he a good teacher? Absolutely. In fact, if Jesus weren't God, we could still take all of his teachings, and and if we collected them with all the other teachings throughout history, his teachings would be in that top group, that top category. But Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Jesus is more than just a good person. You know, we could look at the stories uh, of his actions, the way, the way he worked on behalf of those who had no power, who were cast off from the rest of, uh, of society, and how he loved them, and how he spoke against those who would abuse power. Was Jesus a good person? You, you bet he was, absolutely. But he was more than just a good person. Have you had that experience where you're walking on a sidewalk and someone comes towards you and they, they happen to have their, their pet dog on a leash? And it's a cute little dog and all fluffy and it looks just to be skipping along and everything. And, and so you make eye contact with the person and, and you, you pause and, and you introduce yourself or say hi. and Oh, what a cute little dog. And then you bend down to pet the dog and all of a sudden, rah! <laughs> it's like the inner pit bull comes out of that little fluffy thing. The dog turned out to be more than what it looked like. Our families, uh, we're big fans of the Lord of the Rings movies. There's this character uh, by the name of Gandalf, and Gandalf is a, a wizard. Uh, and in the midst of the story, he acts alongside all the others, and he's parts of conversations. But every now and then, he lets some of his wizardness come out, and, and his voice changes, and the room darkens, and, and, and people are overwhelmed by it. There's more to Gandalf than when you just look at him. And so for us, we need to acknowledge there's more to Jesus than what we often attribute to him. He's not just quaint. He's not just a good encourager. We can't just look at a certain picture and go, well, that's my picture of Jesus. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You know, um, Erickson, uh, there's this uh, uh, scholar who put together a one-volume systematic theology. And he says, uh, he he identifies four implications that come to us because of um, this truth about Jesus, that, that, uh, that Jesus is God. He says, 
that w- one of the implications, one, one of the gifts that we receive out of this is that we have knowledge of God. Um, that in years past, that, that there were prophets that would come and speak to God, that, that we know that God created the heavens and the earth, and so we could look at creation and see God reveal himself and know something about him. Uh, we know that there are these written words, that scripture reveals God. But in the case of Jesus, God reveals himself in a person. And so we have this knowledge of God, of, of how God comes toward us, of, of how God lived in this world and how he interacted with the people around him, how God gave his life for our life. We have knowledge. We also have redemption. You know the story of the Bible, that in the beginning that God created uh, humans and there was this incredible relationship between God and humans, and, and yet humans chose to reject God, to, to take some other truth and to, to go their own way. And what happened is there was this great separation, a great divide. And no matter what humans would do, there was nothing that they could do to overcome that divide and make their way back to God. They couldn't even maintain their lives in that new position. So when God came in the form of Jesus Christ, when God came as fully God and fully human, he is the only one that can come across that divide and that he can redeem people out of that situation, out of that disconnect, that, that, uh, that separation from God, that his sacrifice on the cross would pay that penalty and would be able to bring them out of that and to close the gap. In Jesus, we have knowledge of God. In Jesus, we have redemption we also then have unity. We, we have this union. We have this connection, this new fellowship with God. Jesus doesn't just redeem us out of a situation. He redeems us into a situation, into this fellowship, this unity that, that the, um, uh, God and the Son are one. Je- Jesus would say the Father and I are one and, and that then he would share in this fellowship with us and bring us into that fellowship. Not that we become gods, but but that we share in that fellowship together with them. Knowledge and redemption and unity. And the fourth thing we could identify would be that because Jesus comes in this world, we know how to worship God more fully than than we would have known without Jesus of coming. It's that combination. Just like redemption and community with God are connected together, so knowledge and worship is. That we know God, and, and this knowing then results in this choosing to honor and, and to express love and devotion and gratitude and respect. Because Jesus is divine, there's knowledge and redemption and unity and, and worship taking place. You can see why this is the sexier truth. Why, why, why this is the, is the one that people would defend. Jesus Christ is God. It, it sets um, Christianity apart from all other religions. It's not like it's just one among many, but this is the one in which God came toward us in Jesus Christ. That's the definitive act of God as he reaches out to us. And so people defend it. They argue on behalf of it. They stand for it. Well, let's take a look at the other one then. You know, God came toward us in the deity of Christ. And there's a blessing that's associated with that. 
Here's the second truth that we'll look at, and that is the filledness of Christ followers. The filledness of Christ followers. We find it in verse 10, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled in him. Let's take a look at those uh, last two words in that line first. In him. Uh, when I was growing up, I was part of Cub Scouts and spent a little time in Boy Scouts. Uh, and I believe this is also true for Girl Scouts as well. That in the, uh, in the program, there's this opportunity to earn badges. Uh, I think in Cub Scouts, you earn belt loops. And then finally, when you uh, graduate to the level where you start to earn little pins, you can put on some color stripes on your, on your sleeve. And, and then eventually there's a sash and you earn these merit badges and you, and you put them on them. In order to move up in rank in the scouts, you have to earn these things. You, you go out and you participate in activities and programs and you learn. And, and as you can demonstrate the learning, then you earn the merit badges. That's not how Christianity works. That when, when we look at this idea of in him, in Christ, we find that, that those two words put together in the New Testament quite often, in Christ, in him. And if you were to do a survey of all those places where, where this is referred to, you would find that, that in Jesus Christ, when we say, uh, you have been filled, we find that there are descriptions given of what that filledness looks like. In Christ, we have these things. We have salvation, encouragement, grace. In Christ, we are made alive. In Christ, we have forgiveness. We have triumph. We, have, uh, we are made into new creations. We have freedom. We have justification, reconciliation. We have unity. We have blessing, eternal purpose. We have designation as sons and daughters of God. We have nearness to God. In Christ, we have immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness. In Christ, we have eternal glory. This is all because we are in Christ. Not earned. Not like there's some kind of system that we have to figure our way out and, and find out and discover these things then we can add them to some kind of Christian sash. It's just that when we say yes to Jesus Christ, when God comes toward us, when God establishes that relationship, that in that relationship we have all these things. So our text says, you have been filled. You have been filled. To go from Jesus, in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily, that the next line, and, in, and you have been filled in him, you have been filled in him. This is, you know, when we talk about the statement, I belong, that proclamation, I belong. This is what we're, um, we begin to get at. That to belong is to enjoy this new atmosphere, this new, this new domain in which we live, in which we have all these things. To say I belong is to, to say that, that I am filled, I am filled in Christ. It's a completeness. It's a completeness more than we could ever dream of. Do, do you notice the way that the word is conjugated? That you have been filled. 
It's the perfect tense, which if you really push the meaning of the perfect tense, it's something that, that uh, happened in the past and yet it has current consequences. It, it continues on to this day. There's a continuation, this filling. Yes, it happened and it's true today. You have been filled. And do you notice it's the passive voice? It doesn't say, and you have filled yourself or, or, or you might be able to fill yourself. You have been filled. God accomplished your filling in Jesus Christ. Yet, and here's the ridiculous thing. Here's the unimaginable thing. With this being a defining reality of the Christian experience, as Christians, we often choose to ignore it. Maybe we find it boring. It's something that we barely affirm. We, um, and unfortunately, we all too often abandon it. Let me illustrate it. So I, um, there's this concept of, uh, you know, that surely there must be something more. Uh, and, and it's a concept we can experience in all kinds of parts of life, right? There, surely there must be something more. It, it keeps businesses going. Surely there must be more profit to get. Uh, uh, it keeps science going. Surely there must be more discoveries to make. Uh, well, I know for me that when, when, uh, when we go on vacation, we always are looking for more. <laughs> we, uh, uh, we look at TripAdvisor, we look at Yelp. Uh, used to do the AAA trip ticks. Uh, we, had, we were on a vacation, uh, took a little trip up to Minnesota a couple years back and uh, stayed at a friend's cabin, a cabin that a good number uh, uh, in our church are, are, are aware of. And we were having a great time, and we, we took a, a day to go up to Duluth. Well, we did our research. We were going to spend just, you know, a few hours up in Duluth, but we were going to make the best of it. So we looked on diners, dive-ins, and drives, and, uh, and we found that there was a restaurant up there, and so we made sure we went to there. there. There's that drive along Lake Superior. We had read about that. We looked up some lighthouses. There was a little visitor center. There, there was the, uh, the Duluth Walk along um, uh, where the ships all come and go. And well, we made use of all that time. We just kept adding in as if being in the cabin up in Minnesota wasn't enough. As if just simply going to Duluth was enough. We keep adding in. And maybe that's okay for a vacation. But when we apply that to our Christian experience, that, that somehow it needs to be Jesus plus something. That, that, that we abandon that we're already filled in Jesus and, and we look for that next little thing, that next little dose of something, Jesus plus something. And I don't know if we do this because we um, act out of privilege or we act out of boredom or, or distraction or just lack of depth. In the course of my uh, work as a pastor, I have found a good number of things that seem to make the list of Jesus plus. And this is not, for people who didn't know Jesus, this is, these are Jesus plus stuff that I saw Christians who studied the Bible and went to church and listened to sermons, and yet I found people that were doing Jesus plus numerology. Like something came out and, and oh, did you, did you read that book? If you, if you look at these words and you add up the letters and, and it means that Jesus plus numerology. 
I've seen people uh, embrace Jesus plus conservative politics. Like, like it's, well, Jesus, but, but then it's patriotism and it's nationalism and, and it's these things. And I've also seen people do Jesus plus liberal politics. Well, of course we're going to work for these acts of justice. And it's not that Jesus isn't about justice, but all of a sudden it becomes more about the justice and, and, and we leave that connection with Jesus behind and we focus on these other things and it's Jesus plus. I've seen people make it Jesus plus speaking in tongues, Jesus plus old hymns. Oh, sure, I've got Jesus. Sure, I'm filled in Jesus. Sure, but, but I need to have old hymns. Otherwise, I'm going to a different church or Jesus plus tall steeples or Jesus plus in-person worship services or Jesus plus well-reasoned theology or Jesus plus church or Jesus plus mission. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There can be things in conservative politics. There can be things in liberal politics. There are things in church and mission that are so aligned with Jesus. The difference is, is do we find our filling in Jesus or in these other things? I belong. I belong to Jesus. Now, when I belong to Jesus, I also belong to his church. When I belong to Jesus, I also belong to his mission. I also belong to his sense of justice. I also belong to his desire for love and, and life. But it's all about belonging to Jesus. And here's why it matters. This idea, this, this, this idea that we uh, would go after something else and, and that that's not appropriate. It, it was the same type of problem that the Colossian Christians were experiencing. We find it in verse 8. Um, Paul says to them, see to it, see to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you off like plunder. There were people that were representing uh, a philosophy, and this is not the technical use of the word philosophy like we use it today. It's a broader term. People were adding to the teaching, and they were providing this empty deceit, these, these vain lies. They, they were adding to it a, a different teaching. And Paul says, see to it that people don't add to your experience. See to it that they, you don't get carried away with these other teachings. People who are teaching according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. That's the key. According to Christ. In Christ, we are filled. Christ, who is, in him dwells the, the whole fullness of deity. So the call to remember that we belong, the call to uh, see that we're, no one takes us captive, is really that call then to embrace what is truly and already ours, that we're filled, that we would embrace our filledness in Jesus Christ. Let me say just a couple of things about that. First is, it is not settling. To, to make Jesus the, the focus of our faith, to, to acknowledge and, and to drink in and, and to live out of our filledness is not to settle for something less. 
sometimes we think that, that oh, I need to add on to it because there's more and I just want to get more. In Jesus Christ is everything. To embrace what is already ours, our sense of belonging, our truth that we belong to Jesus is not to settle for anything second. It's also not complicated. It's not complicated. It's not like you have to figure out, well, how does that happen? How does it work? It's hard. It's just not complicated. What do I mean by it's hard? Well, it takes patience. It, it, it takes a willingness to, uh, to let Jesus become our all, to be satisfied in Christ, to be present. Uh, Eugene Peterson has that line, uh, a long obedience in the same direction. It's a willingness to, to not always go after the next fancy thing that in Jesus Christ is my filling. Maybe a third thing we can say, it's not special. It's not like this is just reserved for a few of those special saints, you know, that, that really get it. Well, well, they're really religious and I'm just not that. This is meant for every follower of Christ. I belong in Jesus Christ. I am filled. I have been filled. He has filled me. You know, for me, when I look back on, on my years of walking with Christ, here are some of the places I get tripped up. I do Jesus plus work. You know, there have been seasons where I'll, I'll, I'll get up in the morning, I'll shower and eat breakfast and, and head right out the door. That it's, yes, I, I know I'm filled in Jesus, but I'm going to work. I'm going to achieve something. I'm going to be better at my job. And it's going to be Jesus plus this. And if I can be better at my job, then everything will be okay. I also uh, am guilty of Jesus plus people's approval. Yes, I know I'm filled in Jesus, but if I could just make other people happy and, and get their approval, and it's Jesus plus approval, and I'll be filled. I will be filled if I just have Jesus plus everybody's approval. Another place where I get tripped up is Jesus plus being right. That, that I want to be right in all situations and, and I can get defensive and, and I want to be Jesus plus being right. Maybe you have your own list. My list continues. Maybe you have your own list of, of things that you add to that and, and we just abandon the idea that we're already filled in Christ. I know for me that what this pandemic has been revealing is this call to return, to return to Jesus, to be quiet. You know, people in the past have written quite a bit about the importance of being silent before Christ, um, to journal, to, to be in just conversational prayer, just being in his presence. That Christ is sufficient. That in him, the grace we have, the reconciliation with God, the forgiveness, that there is so much to define us. I belong. We come back to that first Q&A from the Heidelberg Catechism. And so as you reflect on your own response to the pandemic, what it's revealing about you. Maybe we can come back to that place. What is your only comfort in life and in death? 
And may we find ourselves gravitating to that same answer that was written over 450 years ago, that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you came toward us. We thank you that, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us, that, that God in the flesh came toward us, that, that came over that gap and, and redeemed us and brought us into fellowship and, and has filled us, that we are filled in Jesus Christ. God, would you help us to drink in those life-giving waters? To let us explore the depths of what we have in Jesus already. And that God, rather than chasing after Jesus plus other things in this world, that we would live out of a fullness in Christ and represent him in this world free set free from what we already by what we already have we pray these things in christ's name amen thanks for participating in worship and we we hope we, it really is our prayer that you would know of the love of god that you would know it deeply, that it would define you, and that you would have opportunity to then let that love flow through you to the people around you. If you have any questions or you want to follow up on any part of this conversation, would you reach out? I'd love to receive an email or a call or a text, and we'll keep the conversation going. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.